Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend, and this is all about the front office. We've got guys who have run major league clubs. Bobby Evans, Ned Coletti, and Jim Duquette. Obviously, Bobby, his years being the general manager of the San Francisco Giants, uh, was really has always been great to us. Whether he was with the Giants or now now with the Giants, he was up for the Angels job. He will get another, another GM job. But we always love having Bobby Evans on the program. Bobby Evans, the World Series champion, joins us here on A's Cast Live. How have you been? It's been a while. Hey, we're doing well, guys. Uh, quite a quite a year we've seen, huh? Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you, you've been in this game a long, long time, and as much as we just talked to Ken Korak and talked to Tom Hamilton of the the Indians in the show, just I think we're all just fa- we're just thankful we got through this. Yeah, I mean, baseball had to do some pretty uh, pretty good juggling to get the season in. Uh, 60 games, you know, seem awful light, but at the same time, I, I understand better now why they were, uh, you know, uh, you know, trying to trying to keep it uh, a shorter uh, a shorter season with them trying to do an extended off extended postseason. But but yeah, I mean, baseball did really well getting through it. You know, when I think about it, I mean, obviously, you know, as as well as anybody, what it's like to win a championship and how tough it is to win a championship but to think about what both the what, what the Dodgers and the Rays went through you know we were just you know kicking it around going can you imagine the Rays they're in San Diego they have their bubble they're not playing in front of fans it's just them and their family then they got to take their bubble and move it to Texas where the Dodgers have been hanging out now for weeks in Arlington. Just the whole thing to go through that. that, I mean, I think we have to compliment both the Dodgers and the Rays for having to go through so much playoffs, to go through a pandemic, to get where they were. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, both teams, you know, were were obviously the number one seeds in in each league, and and then they they withstood the the test. I mean, they they both had their challenges, right, To to get through it. And, uh, you know, ultimately they did. And then, you know, then the series, uh, I really felt like the, the Dodgers kind of won that series five games to one if it weren't for that unusual, <laughs> unusual walk off uh, that they had in game. What is it? Game game three or four. So uh, pretty crazy. You know, when I, when, you know, last time we saw you was down in San Diego at the winter meetings and it was absolutely fascinating talking about baseball in Egypt and the great athletes that are there and just starting to learn the game and how you're helping progress that and how I don't know when, but at some point we're going to see some of these kids in major league baseball and their terrific talents. I don't know what's happened with the pandemic. Where, Where are we with that? You know, it's a real fun, fun effort. I mean, of course, you know, these are kids that have never hardly even seen the game, much less played the game. And so, you know, going over there and, and, you know, they're into their third year, this would have been a third season, uh, which obviously got upended by the pandemic, but, 
you know, these are kids that, you know, are eager to learn. And, and the numbers, I think they got up to 2,500 kids in Egypt. I mean, these are not American kids living in Egypt. These are Egyptian kids growing up in their homeland and uh, learning the game of baseball. And, and it's, uh, it's a great effort. I mean, there's a lot of good partners over there, particularly the, the local schools, but also the, the, uh, the program overall itself because baseball. And, and they've, uh, they've made a dent. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're doing instruction uh, efforts over Zoom. They're trying to train the coaches. They're trying to, uh, you know, find every creative outlet they can, you know, while they're waiting to hopefully start back in the spring of 2021. You know, I, I, I think about how baseball changes lives. It changed your life. It changed my life. And you can just imagine what it's going to do at some point. And I think you're going to be very, very proud at some point where you have an Egyptian born kid playing in Major League Baseball. I mean, that's I think it's the wonderful thing, Bobby, about our sport. It truly changes lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's obviously affected all of our lives. and. You know, just uh, just imagining, you know, what it could do internationally. I mean, you know, we see the impact of the game, you know, more and more internationally. I mean, obviously the Olympics got held off this year, but, you know, in Japan and Korea. And, you know, we talk about, um, you know, our World Series, but our World Series is, is to me, as true a World Series as there is in, in, in any sport because we have the best players from Japan, the best players from Korea, the best players from the Dominican on and on and on, best players from Curacao, the best players in the game want to play in the big leagues in the U.S., and, and we see it every every October. Well, um, we, we, we know you talked with the Angels, and, of course, we're rooting for you, and um, it's just it's an interesting time being an executive. I, I don't know how much you can, you, you can talk about it, but how, how were your conversations? Um, I mean, you're, you're bringing the resume of a World Series champion. How were your conversations with the Angels? Well, it's an impressive organization, and they, you know, they're, they're anxious to win for the right reason. I mean, they've got you know, arguably the best player in the game in, in Mike Trout, and they've, they've, you know, they've come up short to really put him in a position to compete in the postseason, and they're just not satisfied, and, and so they're doing everything they can to, to shake it up uh, to make sure that that doesn't continue to be the trend. And, and you know, it's, it's fun to talk to teams that are hungry. I mean, teams that are hungry to, to do it and do it right and, 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 and sustain it, and there's nothing like it. And so anytime I've uh, you know, been in these conversations, uh, that's one of my first tests. I mean, it was one of my first tests going back to when I came to the Giants. I wanted to go to an organization that was hungry, and and this is uh, this is clearly a club that's or, or an organization that has a great tradition. They've done well for a long time, and now they've really struggled for a, a pretty good stretch, and and including with the best player in the game. You know, I, I you know I obviously Cody and I will never have these type of conversations, but someone like yourself who's been at the highest level and you've won at the highest level, can you really tell when you actually talk to an organization, you know, there's 30 teams out there, if they're really into winning versus maybe not, what, what is that like? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure how easy it is to tell when a club is, is not excited about winning. Um, although there's certainly some signs that I look for, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that you, you you look at some of the track record. I mean, you look you just they're they're a little easier to figure out in Anaheim. I mean, you look at the track record of the investments they've made in in their own players as well as on the market. Um, they've just gotten you know, pretty position player heavy, and you know you know we won with pitching. We won because Kane came along, and Lenscombe came along, and Bumgarner came along, and Vogelsong came back, and Sanchez came came through the system, and we signed Zito, and we developed Wilson and Romo and acquired Casilla and Lopez and, and, you know, pitching, pitching, you know, led the day for us. It took us to the promised land three times. And, you know, there's, there's nothing we can, nothing we, we can't take anything away from, from Pence or Posey or, or, or any of the guys over the course of those three championships that, that, that helped us win, but it, it started on the mound. And, and so, uh, you know, they've got to find their, their path, you know, to that, that, that ultimate prize. You know, here in the Bay Area, we've seen some of the greatest players. I never got to see Willie Mays play, but I know Willie Mays is one of the greatest players of all time. Obviously, in Oakland, you got Ricky Henderson. I got to cover you and Barry Bonds back in the day when I was working at KMBR, and uh, Barry was just, he was incredible. I mean, he was super Barry. When you, when you talk about Mike Trout, like how good is Mike Trout? When you evaluate a player like that versus someone like Bonds 
or Ricky Henderson? Like, like how does he truly rank in your eyes? Uh, I, I look at the stat. I think he finished in the top three in MVP how many years in a row before this year? I mean, something like, like eight years in a row or something crazy. I mean, that's how good this guy is. And then, you know, and this year, the reason that he, you know, that he, I mean, maybe it's because of the 60 games, uh, you know, short season, you know, some people said it was because of the defense. I mean, he really insisted on staying in center field. Um, you know, he's got the body type that that's a hard position to play. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of wear and tear. I can understand why the organization would want to shift him to a corner to protect him, but you know, obviously he reads the ball off the bat well there and he, he loves playing out there, but it, it obviously with the zone rating and those kind of, you know, uh, figures, they, you know, he just didn't grade out as well. But I mean, I, I think that, you know, offensively there is just part of his game. I mean, it's really everything. I mean, you know, from speed and defense and arm and just the overall, I mean, leadership in that clubhouse. I mean, there's a reason why he's, you know, you know, one of the faces of the game right now. You know, you talk about winning the three championships with the Giants, and you mentioned the ultimate thing, which is is pitching. And, you know, one of the things that was obviously one of your guys' strengths was the bullpen. And you guys won three World Series with three different closers, but yet you always had that lockdown bullpen. And I start thinking about the Dodgers now. You know, we, we looked at the Rays, and you thought the Rays would have been built through the draft, and it was actually the Dodgers who are built through the draft and your old buddy, Ned Coletti and, and uh, how he helped set that thing up for Friedman. But just talk about when you look at the Dodgers, you can have all the money in the world, Bobby, but you need to be able to produce your own players from your draft and your minor league system. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is not, not just, it's not just on player development. It's, it's also on the front office knowing who to deal and who to hang on to. And it's, you know, it is about the draft. I mean, and, and evaluating talent, it's about getting involved internationally in the international market, uh, being patient with guys, knowing when to, you know, when to move them, when to hold on to them, you know, where to play them. Uh, player development plays a huge role. They don't get there without it, but it starts really, you know, in the, in the amateur draft and the international market. And then ultimately a front office holding on to the right guys. And, and the, the Dodgers have done it as good as anybody in the game. And, and you, know, you looked at every every start they had in the postseason was done by a homegrown pitcher. Well, and, and I think and this is like the toughest question. No, no one really knows. But as somebody in the front office right now, as we just had Tom Hamilton on from the Indians and Francisco Lindor is obviously a great talent. He's 26 years old. He's entering the, the, the great part of his career in his prime. And if you're going to trade somebody, Bobby, how tough is it going to be to go look at somebody's organization when none of their minor league players have played? They may have been at the alternate site. They may have not. But we're talking about guys who are all going to be a year older. None of them have played in a competitive game. What's that going to be like trying to make a trade this offseason? Well, there'll be misses. I mean, there'll be misses that, that trades are made based on what when he was last seen, which may have been on a limited look uh the you know there's obviously not the not the uh the stats to to really go by there's there's history and there's there's just uh, uh you know going to be less information so there's going to be misses there's always misses anyway but it it does make you more vulnerable and there may be some you know some real eyeballs on instructional league with the 35 or 40 guys that are down there cuz at least you'll get a good look at them for you know 3 or 4 weeks which will be more than you can say for a lot of the other programs you know, you were part of a lot of playoff success. Uh, I just think about these past playoffs. Wasn't it great that we just had baseball every single day? It was like there's no days <laughs> off. It was every single day. It's like I, I'm already jonesing. I, I'm missing it already. I mean, it was just wonderful, wasn't it, that there was baseball every day? No, and it was it was great. I mean, and and it was uh, it was really good baseball too, of course, and and it was fun. I mean, I. I loved it as well. I mean, it, the whole season, I mean, even though it was a shortened season, every game meant so much. It, it really, the energy, I think, started, you know, back back as soon as the, the, the games began. And, and it was uh, it was fun to watch. I mean, every day, you know, a ton of baseball, but then you get into the postseason and, you know, these short series, I mean, best two out of three. And obviously we had some tight, uh, some tight games, but we also had some series that went to the wire and uh, could have gone either way, including that. Uh, you know that uh, series where the uh, Tampa Bay got through Houston. I mean, that could have gone either way. And I was, I was, you know, I was, you know, I was almost about to to take a deal with Houston with Tampa um, uh, b before COVID hit. 
and then so I was really rooting for them, but I was also, of course, rooting for Dusty there with Houston. So it was um, it was tough to see Dusty lose. I really want to see him get the big prize. You know, let's end on this. You know, we've had two legends in our baseball world here in the Bay Area, and when you think about Billy Bean and you think about Brian Sabian, how long these guys have been around the success that they have had, and, you know, the, the there's a chance both these guys are going to end up in the Baseball Hall of Fame for what they did in Major League Baseball. And I know how close you are with Brian, and Brian has had uh, an unbelievable career. We're, we're potentially looking at Billy Bean going on to do something different. We knew that was a possibility, uh, all his successes. When you look back at Billy Bean's career – if he leaves the A's and he's not going to do whatever he's going to do, how will you always remember Billy Bean? Well, I mean, he's, he, he, he created, well, I mean, along with Sandy, I mean, they really created a, a whole new, a, a whole new uh, legacy in the game uh, for the game itself, not just for themselves. And, um, but I mean, I, I always felt like, you know, Billy was a straight shooter. I felt like he, you know, he worked, he worked hard to get deals. He, you know, he, he didn't give himself, you know, near the credit he should have for the pitching that he had back in the early 2000s. He gave a lot of credit to the, to the uh, position players, but his, his great work in drafting and developing that pitching staff is what put them into such contention at that time in the early 2000s. And, um, you know, I mean, Billy, I feel like that, you know, he's probably one of the few baseball executives that can, can have so much success and really do baseball part-time because his hands are in so many different areas, you know, and he's relied on, on, on Dave, force and his baseball ops staff but you know he is uh he's a man of many talents and and obviously is going to be uh if he's involved in ownership you know with the red sox of course he's already involved at some level in ownership with the a's uh it doesn't surprise me it's a it's a pretty creative opportunity to invest some significant dollars in a club uh that's uh value will, will only get higher there in boston and, le- and let's end on this i mean brian sabian uh, the career that he had, I remember when he came over from the Yankees and started winning almost right away. I, I, I don't know if Brian Sabian truly gets the due or you even get I mean, what you guys did and throw in Ned. Ned, Ned comes on our program. Uh, he's now a TV star and a shark scout, uh, which is a lot of fun. But I mean, the, you guys won three championships. And I think about Brian Sabian and his legacy. I don't know if he gets the due for being the great executive that that he was for the Giants. No, I mean, there's he, he's going to get his due, and it's going to be in Cooperstown, and we're all going to be there because we're, you know, we got to see it live and in person every day, and you know, nobody lived and breathed the game more than Brian did, and um, and so yeah, I mean, this is uh, the success that the Giants had over, you know, over his tenure, you know, is really unprecedented in the in the history of the club, but it's it's also a significant mark in the game today. I mean, you look back at you know, all the great teams that we've won recently, I mean, whether it be the Astros or the Cubs or, you know, now, now the Dodgers, I mean, it's been what, what the Giants did in three and five years under, under Brian and, and Boach. I mean, that, that's, that's so hard to replicate and, and it just hasn't been done. I mean, there's, there's 14 different winners, I think in the last 20 years and the Giants have three of those and Red Sox have four of those spread over a 10 year period. Well, you're a big part of that. No question about it. And, uh, we're rooting for you. You know, it's going to be tough. If you end up taking that angel job, you've always been good to me. You've, I mean, different radio stations I've been on, uh, uh, you know, the, the movement we've had with the A's. You've been, I'm going to have to root for you, and that's going to be tough. Well, I hope we have that problem. I'd like to have that problem for sure. No question. Well, hey, be safe with you and the family. We always appreciate the time. Good luck, and let's talk soon. Likewise. You got it. My pleasure. And now to another former general manager, now a scout for the Sharks. He's truly fascinating. Former GM of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Ned Coletti, also was assistant GM for years under Brian Sabian in San Francisco. And now not only does he do the Sharks, where he's a scout for the Sharks, he also does television down in Los Angeles for the Dodgers. Here's our old friend, Ned Coletti. Ned Coletti, former GM of the Dodgers, assistant general manager, for the San Francisco Giants. And Kim Ng, uh, Cody, we've talked about it today. It's a historic moment. We now have a female GM, an Asian female GM, running a Major League Baseball team. 
as she's been hired by the Miami Marlins. She is uh, had an unbelievable career from the Yankees to the Dodgers. She's interviewed many, many times, but it was finally Derek Jeter who made this call. Uh, so, I, so I don't want to say overqualified, but qualified and should have gotten a job years ago. I've had her on my show before. Uh, she's a special person. And we got a chance to catch up with Ned to talk about it as, uh, you know, this is a groundbreaking moment in baseball. Here's former general manager. Well, can we say shark scout and TV star in Los Angeles, the great Ned Coletti. Ned, it is always great to have you on. And I got to think for you and Kim getting named as a GM is a really big deal for you and and what the Marlins did is something really special. Well, it is, and it's not only historic, Chris. I think it's I think it's a perfect a perfect opportunity for them and for her. I think she's uh, earned this. I think she was probably ready a decade ago, and uh, we know it's difficult. It's one of thirty jobs in the world, but uh, I uh, I was so happy for her, and I've had many conversations certainly when we worked together for a long time and even even since and even most recently in the last couple of months on a, on a lot of different topics related to this and different ideas we had to try and put together a group if we were to go in someplace and, and do this. And so uh, I was very happy for her. Um, it's been on, on my mind for a long time. And I thought that uh, even as of eight or nine years ago that the uh, we were going, we had just right before the Dodgers ownership went through a, a tough period of time. We had talked about uh, me moving up to a president's role of baseball ops and her becoming a GM at the Dodgers. This is this goes back eight, nine, ten years ago. So that's that's how we felt then. That's how I continue to feel. And I'm, I'm very happy for her and very happy for the Marlins, too. They got themselves an outstanding executive and leader. You know, she is interviewed multiple times and – Obviously, uh, her relationship with Derek Jeter is a big deal. Um, but as you said, th- this has been something people in baseball have talked about for a long time. Well, it, it has been out there for a very long time. And, and to her credit, she's persevered through it all. Let, let's face it, it, it's tough to get a GM job. Anybody that that uh, that has had the opportunity to interview, and there's very few people who even had the opportunity to interview, let alone uh, prevail in it. Uh, it's difficult. And, you know, she interviewed a lot. She interviewed a lot when uh, she was the assistant general manager at the Dodgers and uh, she'd come back and, and I'd like say, you know, how'd it go? We, we talked before she'd leave to, uh, to give her as much insight as I could into the, the group she was going to go meet with. And uh, she'd come back and a couple of days later, get a call that they were going to do something else. And you could see the disappointment but you know, part of part of success in life is perseverance. And when you think about anybody that you know that has been successful, unless it was given to them, they've had to persevere through all sorts of different trials and tribulations to get to that point. So I think every time she heard no, I think it just instilled more motivation and competition for her. And I think it, it finally it finally came to fruition. But I think it's uh, I think it's awesome for her, and I think, as I said, I think it's awesome for the Marlins too. They've got themselves an excellent, excellent general manager. You know, it's so interesting how Derek Jeter, from the very start, I mean, Ned just got ripped. I mean, he was just they were all over him. But all of a sudden, now Marlins in the playoffs. Now, what he's doing with the GM, who he has a a, a relationship with. Uh, Derek Jeter has become a very interesting, I, I mean, look, president, owner type, you know, for, for everybody wanting to rip him, he's become very interesting. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, no doubt. And I think, you know, whenever whenever you sit in a in a role like 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 Jeet sits in, he's going to get criticized. There's going to be people who want to make an, an early judgment on somebody's job and somebody's role and, and, and what they do. You know, it's it's disappointing, but it's you know it happens all the time. People are always taking shots because that's I guess that's how they get paid or that's how they get fulfilled is to 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 take take somebody else to task 
when in a million years they could never have the career or the position of a guy like Derek Jeter. But I think it. Uh, I think that certainly he met his his criticisms and continued to be relentless in what he does. What a championship player! Maybe the maybe and, and I've said it many times. Probably over a twenty year period, the best player in baseball. And I know analytics people or stats people or people like that would argue it. And I, I look more at than just an analytical view. You're talking about a guy that that led the New York Yankees and led them to six World Series, of which they won four of them, I think. And that's pretty hard to do. He may have had five World Series and been to seven. It's hard to do that. And it takes a special character to do that. And that sometimes gets overlooked when you just think about numbers and, and different things like that. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it. But I, you know, I only look at one number, and that's wins, you know. And I really look at one summation at the end of a, a season. Who won the World Series? The rest of it's kind of interesting, but that's that's the only way that I the only reason I have ever competed in it, and I'm sure Derek feels the same. And he's got a lot of pride, and and he's got a lot of wisdom and a lot of smarts to him. I've spent a little bit of time with him, not a whole lot. Typically, when the Giants or the Dodgers were playing uh, the Yankees, uh, I would I would you know, meet meet him and talk to him. He was dear friends with Don Zimmer, who was Joe Torre's bench coach and who, who I knew for many, many years and considered one of my best friends. So the three of us would, would sit around the back of a batting cage here and there and talk about the game and talk about different things. But, you know, you get a chance to see how the, mind, the man's mind works, and, and you know that it's, it's championship-driven, and their payroll is what it is. Their market is what it is as far as attendance. But I would never count out somebody with his resume to, to be able to build something spectacular really and she goes into a situation where she knows the manager real well real well and don mattingly and obviously donnie baseball you know real well how happy were you for him and yeah because there was a lot of like can he manage is he a championship type guy to get manager of the year what did that mean well it's it's interesting you know we everything is a snapshot in time if you really want to look at it and sometimes we forget about where we're at at a particular point in time. Joe Torre had retired from managing and managed for us for his, the last three years of his career. And we were going through a financial downturn as far as our organization was. And I needed to, I needed to find a manager, somebody who uh, I knew was pliable, who didn't know it all, quote, yet, and who was going to be open to suggestion and change and a little bit of learning on the job and candidly would be reasonably financially as far as the cost was. And I had watched Donnie work as our hitting coach for a while. I know he had aspirations to manage and he and I had many conversations about that topic and candidly, and I've been around many, many great coaches, including a lot in San Francisco, that group that I was around there, tremendous coaching staff. None of them outworked Don Manningly. And Don Manningly was the hardest working coach I'd ever been around. Some equaled him, but nobody ever outworked him. So I knew he was going to work and work and work. And he had we had four seasons together here. I left. He had one more before before he left. And uh, and then he's taken over Miami, a young team, a rebuilding team, a team where you really got to pay attention to fundamentals. So it was great to see him have success this year in that environment. When you think about I think it was close to 25 to 30 players that he, because they had a lot of issue with the virus, especially early, that he had met for the first time when they came to play in the big leagues. Think about that. That is remarkable to have that many players. And I think they had, I was talking to Mike Hill before he left, I think they may have had 170 roster moves in the course of two months. I mean, that, that is a lot to manage. And, I congratulated him on the season. I congratulated him on the um, – I'm getting in. I think we're 31-29. And, and he, he used to always call me boss. He goes, boss, I appreciate it so much. He goes, two people will always stand out to me. You for giving me a chance to manage and Billy Martin for believing in me as a player. And it, it stunned me when I got that note. But, you know, it's, that's pretty good company to be in. When Don Manningly saying that about you and – and tying you together with a guy like Billy Martin, 
So uh, I got a lot of respect for Donnie. Donnie works hard at what he does. Not everything you do as a manager is going to work out, but it's your work ethic, the way you communicate, the way you help people get better. He's excellent. You know, uh, if he didn't have the bad back, I mean, obviously as a player, he would be a Hall of Famer. There's no question about it. And and Ned, when, when, when people were throwing him under the bus in Los Angeles and then his time now moving on to Miami, I mean, uh, you know, whenever I've had the chance to interview him, I have the utmost respect for him as a baseball mind and a baseball person. I just thought that award this year and, and what he did, I mean, you think about it. They beat the they beat the Phillies. It was like twelve to six or whatever. And the next day, the whole COVID thing hit for them. And I mean, all the different players, as you mentioned it. I mean, the job that he did, he had to manage a situation this year, Ned, that no manager in the history of baseball ever had to manage. No, exactly. And and sometimes, sometimes situations do not present themselves fully until time goes by. And, you know, I heard the same criticism about Donnie when he was in LA and a little bit, uh, you know, when he left for Florida, but again, you know, until you are really called upon for a crossroads moment, almost a career changing opportunity and what you do with it. Uh, sometimes you don't know. So sometimes judgments are not without almost every judgment is without full knowledge of a situation. But sometimes people people will make a full judgment based upon uh, something that's not necessarily uh, a major event. Sometimes it is, certainly, and sometimes it isn't. But to your point, Chris, managing the way he managed this past season, that is not easy to do. That is really hard to do. And I think, you know, the players that played this year, uh, sure, it was a 60-game season, was 162. And so a lot of the wear and the tear and the grind of the season wasn't felt. But nobody had the wear and the tear and the mental grind of what they went through either, including being in Arlington, Texas for for four weeks as you get into postseason play like the Dodgers did. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was there were so many remarkable stories that came out of this year. Um, a lot of a lot of thought process, a lot of work, a lot of paying attention to detail uh, throughout the game, players, executives commissioner's office, commissioner, you name it. And, uh, and I think that to pull off what they did and be able to get through it was remarkable. And when you go back to it and you look at player performances and you look at leadership performances, including Donnie's, uh, some stand out. You helped uh, pave the pavement for the Dodgers winning the World Series. There's no question about that. And, I, I, you know, all of us in baseball understand that. Uh, and now that, you know, you're around it from a media standpoint, just how proud when you look at a guy like Clayton Kershaw, who you've known since day one, just how proud were you to watch the Dodgers win the World Series, knowing that you had a hand in it? Well, not so much that I had a hand in it as much as that I, I knew I know who the people are. And they're baseball players, but I also know the people. You know, I've known Cody, Corey, Clayton, uh, Kenley. Uh, since there was six, uh, 18 years old, some 17 years old. Julio, who pitched great to finish off the game six and also the game seven of the NLCS, and Gonzalez. Uh, we signed them both at the same time in 2006 and 2012. And, uh, and so, you know, knowing them and then seeing them have gained the maturity and gained the um, experience of being a major league player at the highest level in the games of the most highest level and to see him succeed at it, that to me was really cool. And you know, whether whether I had a hand in drafting him, signing him, or whatever, yes, indeed. But the idea that you know somebody when they're that age and they still have all of this ground to gain and all these different things that they they're going to go through as young people and young adults and then adults. Uh, it's just really, really cool to see, to see Corey Seager win the MVP in the NLCS and the world series. And to think back to my initial conversations with him as an 18, 19 year old kid, really young adult and just his maturity and how he sees life and how he sees different things. That was 
really, really cool. Clayton, too, who I've known since he was, you know, high school kid. And here he is. And, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see people accomplish things. And it's cool to see people reach their goals and to not just have them handed to them, but to really, really work at it. And Clayton's obviously had uh, you know, a little bit of a storyline of, well, not too good in October. Well, you know what? Except for a few games in his entire October career, he's been really good. And to see what he did in this postseason exemplifies that even more. Ned, you're very humble. But you've been a part of uh, a lot of success from San Francisco all the way to Los Angeles. So I want our audience to know you're, you're very humble, but you played a big part in a lot of success in Major League Baseball. Well, thanks, Chris. I just, you know what? I take it serious. I'm honored to be having a chance to, to work with teams. And uh, I, I love the sports world. And I, I'm just honored that I've had the chance. Honored to have the chance to work with Kim. You know, that to me is, uh, it's historic. It's, it's not Jackie Robinson, but you know what? It's, it's on the list. You know, let's end on this. What's the best advice you could give to her? Well, she called me the other morning before they announced it and told me it was happening. And um, I said, let me just give you one, one piece of advice. I said, and it was probably the greatest trait of Brian Sabian's. And it's really to know when to make a decision, not too fast, not too slow, but to know exactly what that time is and to gather, have gathered all the information. I says, you're the decision maker. Unless it's financial, you're going to be telling the ownership or whatever, this is what I, what I want to do. And as you do that, know that to do it too quick is not right. To, to wait too long is not right. That there's a special place in time to, to get it, to get that decision out there. And that's, uh, that's what I told her. And to have some fun too. I told her, I didn't have a whole lot of fun as much as we won so many games, you know, it was like, okay, climb that mountain. Where's the next mountain. And it was a day to day grind like that. So have a little fun on the way too. I think it'd be another one. Ned, you are the best. We always appreciate the time. Have a great holidays and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, it sent me that turkey stuff. I was, you know, besides the Jack Morris thing, was which was making me a little bit sick to my stomach. The turkey stuff <laughs> sounded pretty good. <laughs> hey, Ned, do you have a smoker? No. Okay, so I'm going to send you what you need to get. You need to get Chris, a trade smoker. Chris, I, I'm not I will, getting nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I will change your holidays. I swear. <laughs> All right, I'll think about it. How's that? Hey, have a great holiday with the family. We'll talk to you soon. You too, Chris. All the best. Stay well. Best to your group. Bye-bye. And we got one more former GM for you as he is co-host of the Power Alley on MLB Sirius XM. It's the best show they got, and he does it with our friend Mike Farron. And Jim Duquette has really, from what he's done from GM to broadcaster, pretty darn good. Here is the Duke. Jim, it is always an honor to have have you on the program. We really appreciate it. How's life treating you? Everything's treating me uh, just fine, Chris. Thanks for the call, and uh, thanks for having me on. Hope you're doing well. Hope everybody's healthy there. Well, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of your program with Mike Farron, the Power Alley. And uh, when we have him on, I always tell him the stories about how when I'm driving to the golf course, I'll have you guys on on the range or driving to the course. I got to ask you about a story recently with the Mets being sold. You told the story that the I think it was the father. You did a deal where he still owes you Gucci loafers. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. And I'm trying to figure out, out of all the things you can negotiate a contract, why was it Gucci loafers? So the the backstory on that is uh, my predecessor, Steve Phillips, who's also who does the morning show on Sirius ahead of me. He had made a deal uh, back back a couple of years prior where. And I can't remember the name, the place that he traded, but like the owner, uh, and it was the uh, it was a split ownership group at the time. They, he gave, said, "Listen, if you trade, and I'm going to make up the name Lenny Harris, I, but I, I don't believe it was Lenny Harris, or somebody like that. If you trade him, I will give you a, a brand new pair of Gucci loafers." And he did. He traded them, and like like about a week later, he had a box of Gucci loafers sitting on his desk. So. 
So fast forward, I take over for Steve. We're, we have Roger Cedeno, who's a, who's a contract that we had for two years. And the owner's like, I want you to get rid of him. I want you to trade him. He, Roger had had a down year, and he was not – but New York wasn't for him. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll do it. Hey, you'll give me a, a pair of Gucci loafers if I trade? He goes, yes, I will give you a pair of Gucci loafers. So I got the Cardinals. Like we only freed up about a million bucks, but come on, how much are Gucci loafers these days? They're probably like three hundred fifty bucks. <laughs> I'm wondering, are you going to be able to go to Steve Cohen now? Going, hey, before you guys finish this deal, and you know, yeah. uh, dot the eyes across the T's, am I still getting my loafers? Well, he could definitely afford it. I, I was half thinking though that I would just submit a you know a past invoice due to the previous owner there, Wilpon. Because I mean, the guy just sold the team for two point four billion. You think he'd throw me a, a bone and pay up his, his debt that he owes me? But I don't think he. It's a time because we had to take back so much salary. I don't think he took too kindly that, you know, he had to pay like seven out of the eight million remaining. Miracle worker. Jeez. You know, we've been trying to figure out how this offseason is going to go. We had Rob Manfred on the commissioner during the playoffs, and I asked him, and he said. The virus, the virus is going to dictate how the offseason goes. And I'm just yeah. thinking from a general manager's perspective, like Francisco Lindor, they're going to shop him. But when you're going to shop him, how do you shop him and get prospects back from teams that, you know, we even had minor that wasn't even played? How do you think stuff like this will go yeah. down? Well, I think that's a fascinating uh, point because, you know, not every, you know, the teams were sharing, there's about 20 teams, I think, in the league that were sharing data and sharing video on their prospects from, from, the, uh, from the alternate site. So there is some things I don't know how reliable that's going to be. If I'm a GM of, of an opposing team, I'm, I'm not going to use that totally in my dealing. So, you know, that's number one. Number two, I only think if indoor makes sense in certain markets where you can sign them long-term, like what the Dodgers did. So, you know, if you go through, okay, the Blue Jays are for sure going to be in. You could say the Mets, maybe the Yankees. I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankees are in. You know, the, the Tigers don't have a lot of long-term debt. They could afford them long-term. They have prospects. Uh, you know, the Giants could certainly do it. Outside of that, there really aren't too many other teams, I don't think, that are looking to add payroll. Um, and could give up, you know, be willing to do that. And, and so I think it, it's a smaller, you know, that, so that's part of it. And then trying to come to, like you're, you're talking about, Chris, trying to come to a, a logical conclusion of what players to get back in return, I think is a challenge. Um, there's a lot of room for disagreement. It might be, it might be because of the, that room for disagreement that a deal gets done, but I would be very careful on Cleveland's side, very concerned on Cleveland's side that, what you know? What you'd be buying from the prospects coming back? Will Cleveland be able to maybe get more? Because what they're saying is, hey, we're taking a lot of risk. We haven't seen these guys in over a year. All these guys are a year older. Uh, could, could they ask for more than normal? Uh, I think that they'll be. I don't think they're going to be able to ask for more. I think what they're going to try to do, though, is try to use certain, you know. Uh, uh, standard prior prior deals that were done that you know are, are involving impactful superstar type level players. So Paul Goldschmidt is the was the one comp a couple years ago Arizona Louis, and they had traded four or five guys. You could certainly go back to the Mookie Betts trade, you know, with the, the Yankees and the Red Sox. The problem with that is uh, the Dodgers took on you know uh, some significant payroll on David Price, so that gets a little muddy in comparison. But I think those are the two kind of deals that you could use as guidelines. And I think if you're if you're Cleveland, that's reasonable to expect. Anything more than that, I don't think you're going to be able to get a deal done. When you start looking around, like I don't know, Chris Bryant, uh, Nolan Arenado, when you think of yeah. guys who are under contract that could be trade, is this a good time to trade for people? Bad time? Like, how do you see it? Well, I think I think if you're let's say let's take the Mets or the Giants that are willing to take some payroll on, I think there's potentially I think your choices are greater. Um, I think you could trade for one of those guys, or so, so here's the interesting thing: the Giants, and you just saw Justin Turner just beat you up over the last seven years as a Dodger, third base, and you need a third baseman. 
do you go and sign Justin Turner for whatever, you know, deal, let's say it's a three-year deal for, uh, you know, 18 million, something close to what he just got paid, or, or do you go trade for Chris Bryant uh, for two years of control? That's pretty intriguing. Those are really good options. Or do, could you even take on more money and trade for Nolan Arenado and have him under control for the next eight or nine years? Like, you're going to have some really good options. And I think it, you know, it, it, there's some uncertainty on the trade market because the, the, I'm expecting the free agent market to be very slow. Uh, you're not going to be able to ask for nearly as much money that you normally do. So you can probably get a Justin Turner for less money, which would make him more valuable, I think, potentially than trading for Chris Bryant. So as an example, so you know, it's, I don't know how good the trade market is going to be, but but it is going to be – both are going to impact the other. You know, we have a schedule for spring training. We have a schedule for 2021, but we really have no idea how this is going to play out. So I want to go from trades to free agency. As a general yep. manager, and you don't know about 162 games, you have no idea like, – like how do you go into like one of these big contracts if a guy says, I don't know, I want – five, six, seven years for X amount, hundreds of millions, and you have no idea what next season's going to look like. So it's to me, it's what's going to be fascinating is the creativity that you have there, right? So we already know what the standard is if we only play a certain number of games, right? It's basically the prorated amount for this year, uh, for that year, right? So they basically, they came up with a daily rate. Uh, and we don't know if there's going to be uh, at any attendance at all. And maybe it's going to be a, a, a uh, you know, partial, maybe it's 25% in some areas. I think you probably could know this even better, but California, any of the teams there, probably be last in the league to have any, any attendance, you know, just the way the state has been when it comes to trying to control it. So that there's, there's that uncertainty of what are the revenues going to be short term, uh, and you kind of add in the other thought of, okay, well, geez, I could backload, I could backload the contract based off of revenues for, for this year, or I could gamble and say, I'm going to put a higher price tag on this year with the thought that maybe you don't play full 162 and you get a discount out. Like there's some really interesting and creative ideas that I think would be out there on the free agent market to try to structure a contract like that. Let's do two more. Boston Red Sox meeting with Alex Cora. Some say it may already be a done deal. We know everything that went on with the suspension, what he did with the Houston Astros, Red Sox. If they announce him as their manager, is that a good look, bad look? How do you see it? Well, I think for the Red Sox and their Red Sox fan base, they would love it. I mean, I, I still have a lot of uh, friends and family live up in New England and they they didn't understand after they saw the 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 investigation of the Red Sox and the scandal uh, from 2018 and Alex Cora was found to be not guilty and they only had I think their video video guy was the one who who got suspended for a year I think a lot of people up there were like well nothing happened while he was the manager of the Red Sox why did they even fire him so they would love to have him back I think that the ownership would love to have him back. Within baseball, I think there's a lot of people that don't think um, that A.J. Hinch or Alex Kors, uh, if they that they served enough of a penalty. Certainly the players didn't. Um, but, you know, to me, it's like, uh, hey, we, we've seen a penalty imposed. They they served their time. It was a pretty significant penalty. You know, full year of salary and losing your job. So once that happens, once they serve it, if they're, if they're the best candidate for the job, I'd welcome them back. So, uh, you know, I think that's what you're going to see. And I would be very surprised if Boston doesn't hire him. Let's end on this. I've known Billy Bean for a long, long time. And obviously what he has done for this organization, uh, what he's done to help change baseball, his success in this game, overcoming a lot of hurdles. I know you've known Billy for years. If this is really being in Major League Baseball, what will that mean to you, and what will his legacy be? Well, if he does, I mean, I hope he's not done in Major League Baseball. Like I, I, he, I know he has a lot of other interests and a lot of other bigger, you know, big challenges ahead, and likes to get involved in a lot of different things. So 
I still think he would be involved in some capacity in Boston, but maybe not to the degree that he is in Oakland. But I mean, there's no denying, you know, the the impact that his thinking has had an undervalued uh, player looking at your business in different ways, not looking at it in a in a conventional scouting, scouting looking at it from an view as well. Like I feel like Billy, uh, he brought he upgraded the IQ in the front offices when other teams maybe weren't looking in that direction. Um, he was kind of the standard that other teams are looking to build around. There's an endless number of executives that now in the game that you could point to. So uh, if this is it for him, that would be a pretty damn good legacy. Um, I know he didn't get a World Series ring, but um, I hope it's not the end of his uh, baseball career. As we maybe maybe it is as we know it, but I think he'd still be. I think he'd be crazy to get out of. It. He's too good. He's too good of an executive to get away from it. Well, Jim, I can't say it enough. You and Mike Farron have an absolute great show. I love listening to it because it's on in the morning here in California. So when I'm driving to go play, I play a lot of golf now, and uh, yeah. driving course and being on the range I, I love your guys' ideas we use them on this show all the time so your show is second to none we really appreciate it and i always appreciate your time be safe be well and let's talk soon i appreciate the, the compliment hopefully we're helping you hit the ball straight when you're hit when you're listening <laughs> unfortunately that's not the case <laughs> i understand it's a tough frustrating game i'm with you on that chris i'll talk to you soon Hey, and if you can get those Gucci loafers, I'm all for it. Hey, let me tell you something. I want to make a big deal if I ever get them. I can tell you that. I'll, <laughs> you wear, them. I'll wear them on the golf course if I have to. <laughs> you take care. All right. See you, guys. Bye. Well, that'll do it for the GM edition. We'd like to thank Bobby Evans, Ned Coletti, and Jim Duquette for joining us on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 